Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double N. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 512 of the podcast and it is Tuesday the 13th of October 2020 as I record this early as I'm off on my pilgrimage trip. A bit more about that in a minute. So today I'm talking to Pamela Wilson about building a creative business and what the products of that kind of ecosystem look like. And Pamela is a great example of a non-fiction author with multiple streams of income. And her books bring in leads and some of those people go on to buy her courses, membership, coaching and other things. And we also discuss how images work together with your words to communicate brand, tips for choosing a niche that you love but also might make some money. What happens when you want to pivot, uh, as many people are doing right now, without burning your bridges of what you've already built? And tips on rebranding. And now we recorded this a few months back and you can tell... (laughs) You can tell I'm in the middle of my own questions. So you actually get to listen in on my pondering and uh, see what I was thinking about then and, and what that sort of resulted in now. So that is coming up. In my personal update, so I'm off on my walking pilgrimage from Southwark in South London uh, to Canterbury Cathedral following the Beckett Way. Uh, As this goes out, I will actually be on my fourth day walking. You can follow my journey and see the pictures on Instagram and Facebook at JFPenAuthor. And at some point, I will be podcasting about it on Books and Travel. Now, as I'm recording this, it's, it's been quite a weird few days because I did almost cancel it some places in the UK are being locked down again, but not in the area where I am or in the places I'm going to. And of course, every day things change. (laughs) But I have had to weigh up a few things. And I think it's important because this is life, right? Uh, What is the risk of me going? How can I mitigate any risk? Now, obviously, we're still in a pandemic, but I will be outside walking alone. Most of the time, (laughs) I'll be taking the usual precautions when I am uh, around other people, mask, sanitizer, social distancing. So it is very low risk. And in my demographic, uh, I am low risk anyway. Plus, I'm going to avoid my parents (laughs) for a couple of weeks afterwards, just in case. And so I'm, I have looked at the, the risk. I mean, according to government guidelines, I can do this. I, according to my own guidelines, I can do this. And the, the reward of me going is, so we always have to weigh up risk and reward, right? Uh, so I really, 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 really need this. <laughs> For my mental health, for a start, uh, I see this next few months coming, uh, winter approaching, and I want to get out and about before I think the shutdowns will continue and things will, you know, we won't be able to socialise so much outside because of the weather. I also desperately need to fill my creative well. And of course, we talked a bit about this with uh, KM Wyland, Katie Wyland, a few weeks ago. And I get my inspiration for writing by being out in the world. And for the last, uh, I finished, as I talked about last week, I finished Tree of Life. It's with my editor. And I know it won't be a significant amount of work to finish that up. And I feel like I feel empty because that's how I should feel. The emptiness that comes after you finish a book is normal and expected. And in fact, if you don't feel empty, then you haven't given your all to a project. But equally, I feel empty. (laughs) And the way I feel my creative well is by going out in the world. Now, of course, I read books uh, and I watch documentaries and I can do research online. I know this (laughs) and I do plenty of it. But so many of my ideas, all my core ideas come from being out in the world. And so, yeah, I I definitely feel this sort of emptiness and need to get out there. Now, (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm only going a couple of hours from where I live. It's not like if you don't know the geography of England, I live about an hour and 45 minutes on the train from London and I could get to Canterbury and back in a day trip if I really wanted to. And in fact, I was considering doing that in terms of, okay, well, if I can't do the walk, you know, maybe I can just go to the cathedral, see the, uh, see the stuff, come back again. But you know, I want to write a book about walking and pilgrimage. And I also feel like I need a bit of time away and time on my own, the whole introvert thing. And the pilgrimage route is a perfect way to challenge myself physically, as well as mentally, and just rediscover some things. And also, I want to write two books out of this. I want to write a novel about uh, the bones of Beckett, uh, the sort of relics. But also, I want to write uh, and of course, I have a thing about relics. <laughs> if you've read any of my novels, you'll know that. Uh, check out Crypt of Bone if you enjoy religious relics. Um, but the uh, that will be one. And then The Pilgrimage Route itself will be the first of my sort of new nonfiction books under J.F. Penn. So that will be a pilgrimage slash route guide slash memoir thing. <laughs> I don't even know yet. This is what's I'm excited about and I need to be excited. Uh, this is a new venture for me. This is part of my books and travel brand. This is something, you know, in, in fact, I talk in this episode with Pamela about, you know, I want to start pivoting the things I write, but how am I going to do this? So you kind of heard the genesis of this idea in the interview and now I'm actually doing it. So these are some of the reasons I really, really want to go. And I've also been thinking a lot about fear because if you do the doom scrolling... <laughs> or the doom watching, you know, if you do read too many news, too much news, um, you are going to feel the fear. There, There is so much in the world right now. And of course, the media thrives on fear. It doesn't report the good news. It doesn't report the 99.9999% of people who are, you know, not ill. Uh, so a lot of it is necessary. Of course, we need to be aware. But equally, I just... I can't keep living this way in terms of stopping it, letting me do stuff. Uh, and of course, I'm not doing anything particularly dangerous, but it's so weird because the fear I have faced has been far more than I think I've felt even before when going on a, like a trip that really was hazardous. <laughs> so it, it is kind of strange. So we have to weigh up legitimate fears about the world with the risk that there is always some kind of risk. And uh, memento mori, remember, you will die. You know I love saying that. There is no escaping the fact that it's going to happen eventually. But for now, I'm still alive. And in fact, we talk about this on the latest episode of Books and Travel, which uh, I talked to Doug Walsh about uh, cycling around the world. But actually, our discussion was not so much about cycling and far more about the things that happen along the way in life that mean you have to change your plan, but also the fears that he faced and his wife faced and the things that made them change their plans. So yeah, so anyway, I'm alive. <laughs> I intend to stay alive. Living for me is not staying at home being afraid. So I am going on my pilgrimage, of course, within the bounds of the law and the government guidelines, sticking to the health rules and the health uh, things that I should do. And I am not at all suggesting that you need to go and do anything similar. As ever on this show, I just talk about what's happening with me and hope that it sparks some ideas within you, even if you totally disagree with me, which is fine. <laughs> You're allowed to disagree with me, but this is my show. So I guess my question for you today is, what is living for you? What are the guidelines around living? And of course, it may be staying home and staying safe. If it's if there are ways that you uh, want to change that, if you want to make decisions in other ways, well, then how are you going to assess those risks, mitigate those risks and achieve your goals while still uh, staying safe? So we all have to make our own decisions. 
So thanks for all your emails and tweets and comments this week. Kevin Partner says, brilliant podcast with Michael Leron. So interesting to hear his thoughts on diversity. And John Howard says, loving the latest episode with Michael Leron. The guy is a writing machine. He's the reason I finished a 95,000 word draft using Scrivener on my phone. And I'm well into the first draft of book two. Everything you want in life is on the opposite side of fear. Well, and I know Michael said that last week and uh, that is appropriate for what I was talking about just before. So as ever, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or leave a comment on the show notes or even email me, joanna at thecreativepen.com. Let me know what you think about the episode. And of course, send me a picture of where you're listening in from. I always love to see that. So today's show is sponsored by my own courses. Did you know that I have online courses? I thought this was an appropriate thing given the topic I'm talking about with Pamela. Uh, I have courses on how to write a novel, how to write nonfiction, multiple streams of income, your author business plan, content marketing for fiction, productivity for authors, turn what you know into an online course, which might be relevant for today's show also, and co-writing a book, which I did with Jay Thorne. So you can check out my courses at The Creative Pen com forward slash learn and here is a recent testimonial from claire who took the author business plan course wow joanna this course was way more than i'd even hoped an amazing roadmap of how to make your author business work for you and ensure all the moving parts actually move together to create forward motion thank you so much so you can check out my courses at thecreativepen.com forward slash learn So this type of promotion (laughs) pays for the hosting, transcription and editing. But my time in creating the show is sponsored by my lovely patrons. Thanks to everyone supporting the show on Patreon and everyone who continues to support and is also upping their pledge at this time. Thanks to new and returning patrons this week, Carolyn Berry, Robert Mendenhall, Liberty Speedle and Patrick Regan. I really appreciate your support on Patreon and you can support the show for just a couple of dollars a month, less than a coffee a month or a couple of coffees if you're feeling generous and you'll get the extra monthly Q&A audio which I just sent out this week and what that means is I do answer all your questions the best I can and uh, you know it, it does get quite um, specific and I really do and of course you can hide your (laughs) you can do an anonymous question if you don't want me to know who it is but Monica said this week thank you for your answer Uh, you asked the right questions back so I knew what my answer was and uh, so I, I thought that was interesting I do try and be honest as I am always honest with you in the intro of the podcast so you can come and uh, join the Patreon get all the backlist Q&A and you can also get 10% off my online courses uh, if you do join so support the show at patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen right let's get into the interview Pamela Wilson is the author of two books on content marketing, an online educator and keynote speaker. Her company, Big Brand System, teaches people how to build online businesses they love, particularly important as many people are pivoting after the pandemic. So welcome back to the show, Pamela. I am so happy to be here and hear your voice and just be here with your community. Thank you for having me back. Oh, it's great to have you back on the show. So previously, we have talked about content marketing. Both of us are big fans of that. But today, we're, we are talking more about this building a business. So set the scene for us. Tell us a bit more about what your business looks like and what are your multiple streams of income and how do books play a part in that? Books. The good news is books play a part in all of it. But my principal streams of income are my two, I call them my lab courses, and they are the content lab and the image lab. And the content lab is about profiting from content marketing, like blog posts, like this podcast and video series. And the course really teaches you how to map out your content and get your content produced, but also how to tie it to your promotional plans so that your content marketing actually builds revenue. And then the other half of the content coin, because we exist on the internet these days, the internet is not all words, it's also images. So that other half is images, and that's where my Image Lab course comes in. It helps people who have no design background to learn how to use 
a specific kind of image. I call it a signature branded image. It's an image that communicates a message and it communicates your brand at the same time. And that course trains you how to do that. Even if you, even if you say, I can't draw a straight line and I'm not an artist and all of that, it really trains people how to do that. And the fun thing is, I I had a recent student in the image lab who is an app developer. So he's a techie person. And he wrote to me and said that suddenly because he's gained these design skills, he's being asked all the design questions at his job. Mm -hmm. So it really does teach people. And the content lab is the same thing. It, It teaches people who feel like they're not content creators, they're not writers, they feel like they don't have what it takes. And I really take them through the whole process. So that's the lab courses. I have a membership course that is for people who are in the early stages of building an online business. And that is called the big league. And it has short training courses on all different aspects of building your online business. So getting your initial website set up and setting up your email marketing and creating your sales pages and things like that. And it includes live group coaching every week, which I love. Wednesdays is when we do our group coaching and Wednesdays are some of my favorite days of the week because of that. And then I offer one-on-one coaching. It's called momentum coaching. And that's for people who are operating at a different level. So they are usually at mid six figures to low seven figures. And I'm helping them navigate that growth and really leverage their assets and sometimes manage their teams and figure out how to eke more profit out of their existing offers and things like that. So the interesting thing is these are all very different offers, but my book has helped with all of them. Because I talk to people and they say to me, I, I read your books, I heard your books. I just talked to someone yesterday, for example, who said that she had taken a cross-country trip here in the U.S. and listened to my audiobooks twice. Hmm. So that's four listenings because it's two books. So she listened to each book twice on this long trip. And she wanted to work with me as a coach, and she was basically pre-sold. She was saying, I love your work. I want to work with you. You're the person I want to work with, because I think she felt like she knew me and knew the way I thought and understood how I taught and knew I was the person she needed to work with. So I, I find that the books really warm people up to what I do in a way that goes way beyond anything that you can do as far as just marketing, right? Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I have a, a, a friend who's been on the podcast, Mark McGuinness, who is a creative coach, and he has, has said the same thing, that his books and the podcast act as lead gen for his more profitable coaching business. And you've basically got this kind of funnel as well. So a couple of questions there. Did you self-narrate that audiobook where that lady decided to do your coaching afterwards? I did. I did. Yeah. It's funny. I'm not a professional narrator, but it's she was on the call with me because I do these free strategy calls for people who want to work with me as a coach just to see if there's a, a fit between their needs and what I can do. And so we're on this free strategy call. And she said, actually, it's strange to hear you talking to me because I feel like I've heard your voice so much. So yeah. People say that do, a lot to me too on the I podcast. <laughs> yeah. I think there's something to that. People feel you've been in their in their heads, in their ears. So they feel very connected to you. It's uh, the power of audio is amazing. I know I don't need to tell you that, but it's incredible. Mm. That is a really good tip. So people listening who want to build that kind of personal connection coaching business, which is a higher ticket, then narrating your own audiobooks is a really good investment of your time. And it is hard, isn't it? But the investment of your time to do that is paid back by people like that lady who essentially join your coaching or buy your courses because they feel like they know you. Yes. It's amazing because part of my, part of those strategy calls is I'll say to people, I'll I'll ask them, why do you want to work with me? And more often than not, 
they'll say, I bought your books. I read your books. I listened to your books. It's all about my books, which Mm. is so shocking to me. It's amazing to me because it's something that I worked very hard to do, but years ago, and it's still (laughs) producing for me. And it's funny, Joanna, you're probably going, yes, I know Pamela, because that's what I teach. But I I had heard that before. I just hadn't experienced it. And now that I've experienced it, I am a true believer. It is definitely worth the effort and the time that you put into getting a book produced. And then, so just so people know, because I think you, what you've described is a, is quite a normal, I say normal in inverted commas, nonfiction business where the book is a lead gen with these different courses and membership and coaching on these tiers. But is there any significant income from the book sales alone? So would it be like 5% or is it really the money is not the point? It really is marketing. It is probably 10% of my monthly income. Oh, okay. It's not a huge amount of money, but yeah, I mean, it's, and I did explore advertising a couple of years ago, but I haven't done anything. And as far as advertising recently, I go on to podcasts like this one and talk about my books and try to keep those coming at a steady pace. It's, I've written about topics that people want I've written mostly about content marketing and it's a perennial topic that people want to understand better. And I have a process that's pretty easy to lay out in audio form. So it ends up being something that podcasters are usually pretty open to hearing about and sharing with their audiences. So that has worked really well for me. Um, Podcasting rather than trying to take out Amazon ads, for example. Yes, a bit of time instead of money. And also, again, the reason why you and I love content marketing is because it's more evergreen and we'll record this and some people will hear it as soon as it goes out, but more people will hear it years and years potentially later. And so you get that kind of constant trickle and you almost never know where your traffic's coming from with content marketing, especially with podcasting, because there's no click through link. It's all based on someone going, oh, I'm really interested in learning more about Pamela Wilson. I think I'll put her name into Google or go to the URL or whatever. And so it is, it is so hard to know, like people say, oh, with, with an ad, I can measure my ROI on the click, my return on investment. But with podcasting, it's very difficult, isn't it? To measure how it works. And as you said, you, you're not doing the paid ads. Not right now, not for the books. I'm doing paid ads for the courses and Mm. for other things. So I do think it's smart to have a mix of organic and paid when you can do it, especially if you've worked out funnels that you know are working. And it's a matter of just sending people to them, sending people to whatever it is that you have in place to promote your product and getting them through that that process until they see an offer. I, I think it's smart to do both. So Lynn, you do sound very focused, like you do have this clear funnel of products, you're focused with what you do to bring people into that. I feel like you've understood niche, obviously you've been doing this for a while, but I think many nonfiction authors listening or people who want to build a business around nonfiction struggle with where they fit and who to serve. So how did you decide where you fit and who you want to serve and how can other people make those choices? The way that I teach this is that it's really great to have some experience with your niche. So either you have been in the group that you want to serve and you felt their challenges yourself or you've worked with them closely and you've experienced their challenges firsthand. To me, those are the strongest niches to enter because otherwise you're just throwing darts at a dartboard and you don't really, you can't really get inside their heads. But if you have either been them or worked with them, you can serve them. And I think that it works best if you have that emotional connection to them and their challenges, but if you also put them through this process. So when I teach this, I always tell people you have to have three, three things when you're looking at a niche. So let's say you have a group you want to serve. 
before you decide to really focus on them, you need to check and make sure that they know that they have the problem you want to help them solve. They need to know they have it because it, it shouldn't be your job to educate them about the problem that they have. They need to know they have that problem. They need to have some awareness of it. And the next step is they need to feel badly enough about this challenge or this problem that they know they want to solve it. They're ready to actually make a change. So the problem is causing them enough pain that they're ready to do something about it. And then the final step is they need to have money to spend on the solution (laughs) as long as you are running a business. If you're running a charitable organization, that's a different animal. But if you're running a business, you need to target people who know they have a problem, know they want to solve that problem, and have money to spend on the solution. And if any of those are missing, your niche is not going to be profitable. Oh, that's such a good point. That last point, I was like, yeah, nodding. And then the last point is, that is exactly what I feel many authors get wrong, is that mo- most authors are not aren't initially focused on money because most authors are creative people who often with a nonfiction book, like my first nonfiction book was about career change because I was miserable in my job. So I did have that feeling bad and helping people solve a problem that I experienced. But I did, I then I discovered I did not want to go down the career change business. I could have built a pretty good business with that book, right? A nonfiction business around that book. But sure. I discovered that was not what I wanted to do. And <laughs> then I end up building a business around self-publishing, which in 2008, 2009 was not really uh, the place to be <laughs> because it right. was considered pretty terrible. And it did take a long time really for me to make income. Although I make, I have a good business. It definitely, I think if I look at how some people zoomed past me in other ways, understanding those points that you have there is really important. But then I feel like the issue then with many authors is, okay, so here's a few, like, here's a few things I'm interested in right now. Uh, Long distance walking and pilgrimage, particularly non-religious pilgrimage, intermittent fasting, and obviously writing. I'm always interested in the craft of writing. So I imagine there are also people listening who are like, but I'm interested in this and this. So how do we narrow it down and say, all right, this is what I should do. This is how I should actively build this type of brand. That's such a good question. The thing about picking a niche is you have to ask yourself, is my passion for this topic something that I'm experiencing right now, or is it going to be something that I feel I can devote myself to for years? And some of those things may fall away if you think about, am I willing to explore? For example, I like intermittent fasting as well. I do it myself and I love it. I love the way it makes me feel. It's been fantastic. So at this moment in time, it's something I'm fairly passionate about. And I think it's something that's out in our culture right now. People Mm -hmm. are aware that fasting is, I think fasting was associated with religious traditions in the past. And now fasting is something that the general population is using for better health. But you have to ask yourself, five years from now, is it going to be as interesting to people as it is now? So that's something. And then you say, you ask, is it going to be as interesting to me? Am I still going to want to be (laughs) writing about fasting and doing presentations on fasting and creating books about fasting? Do I really want to spend that much time about uh, on it? And you put it through those filters and that should help to eliminate some of the topics that maybe don't fit that criteria. Mm. And it's, and I totally, it's great that you do intermittent fasting as well. I I agree with you on all that, all the health benefits, but it's interesting because I've thought about this and gone, do you know what? I, once you, in inverted commas, learn about it, you go through that phase of, oh, this is so exciting. A bit like many people who become authors and learn about self-publishing. They're like, oh, this is amazing. And then they get to a point and you're like, yeah, okay, you just do it. I don't need to talk about it. 
<laughs> exactly. It's a little bit of that, the phenomena of the recent convert, right? Mm, yes. Somebody who yeah. is a recent convert to this new, whether it's way of thinking or religion or a way of managing their health and they see results. So they're super excited. And they're so excited that sometimes they're annoying their friends because they won't talk about anything else. And that's what you have to ask yourself. Am I excited about this topic because I'm a recent convert and I am in full honeymoon period here? Mm. Or is this something that I will still be interested in five years? And as it relates back to content marketing, you could potentially be creating content about that topic for years. Are you sure you want to do that? (laughs) You have to ask yourself that. Yeah. And that, I think that's interesting too, because I definitely did not feel that with career change. And I think many people make the mistake with their first book. It's get a URL for their first book. And I did the same uh, because you're so in love with that one book. And then you realize quite swiftly, if you do podcasts like this, or you do PR or something, people always ask the same questions. <laughs> and, and you have to be content with answering those questions over and over again. Now, so this brings me on to my next question and something I'm definitely going through. So I've been doing this for uh, 12 years as we speak, seven years on the podcast, but 12 years with my website focusing on uh, authors and the author journey. And I've got 11 nonfiction books and I've got courses. I don't do coaching like you do. I don't do even much speaking anymore, but I I have a nonfiction. I have affiliate uh, income. So I I have uh, a business around that nonfiction niche. But what I'm feeling now is I can see, I see one more or maybe two more nonfiction books within the niche, because that's how I feel what's left. And at the same time, I want to pivot more into these other areas. So for example, the pilgrimage interest and the long distance walking actually fits with my fiction, my brand, my fiction brand and my research behind my books. So this is the challenge. And I know some people listening also want to change brands. So my question is, if you want to change your brand or not switch, change one up and one down over time, how do we do that? Can we take people along with us or do we just have to change this stuff and leave behind things? Some of this has to do with how you position yourself from the very beginning. So for example, you have really created, you have a brand name, Creative Pen, but really you have a personal brand. So people know you and they know your work. Mm. So that can make it somewhat easier because when you're ready to pivot, it's just Joanna's interests are changing and you will lose some people but you'll also gain some people who are interested in this new interest that you have. So it's a matter of communicating that. So I do think if you've built, if you built some name recognition yourself, then it can feel very natural that as a person, your interests are changing and expanding. That's something that happens to all of us. So it's an easy story to tell. It's an easy story for people to understand. When it comes to your brand though, the one thing I tell people is that brands are really organic. So I like to think of them more like a tree where you have a tree that's growing and you decide you want something different. You want it to have a different shape. You don't chop down the whole tree to a stump and plant (laughs) a new one. What you do is you go to your existing tree and you prune some branches and you train it to go in a different direction. And what that does is it builds on all the brand equity that you've already established in your case over 12 years, all the brand recognition, the audience you built, all of that. And you can bring along as many of them as will be interested in your new direction. So one thing I like getting very granular about it. The one thing I tell people is see if you can change your business tagline first. And that may be all you need to do. So a business tagline is that line that explains what your business does. So when I started out Big Brand System, I was focused on helping people to use design and marketing to look like a big brand. That was literally how the name came about. Mm. And my first tagline was grow your business with great design and marketing. 
and I used it for years. But I realized at a certain point that my true interest was help was to help people build online businesses and online businesses they loved to own and they loved to run that worked for their lifestyles that were an expression of who they were as people. So that business you love thing encompasses a lot. But I I basically kept the same business name, big brand system, and I started using build an online business you love. So it was a very easy change. And then I communicated that in all my marketing and started attracting an audience of people who wanted to go in that direction with me. So the business name is usually a legal entity. It's oftentimes it's your URL. It's a registered trademark. It's permanent. But a tagline is a piece of marketing copy. So it's pretty easy to change. So that, that can be the first thing that you explore changing. And then it's a matter of just communicating that in everything you do. I love that. That's a great idea. And I've definitely, the creative pen, I have I did have taglines and I've changed them and added other keywords and I do have something in mind. And I keep wanting to do a redesign, but redesigning things is so much work when you've got a well, let, website. Well, let me tell you about redesigning. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I do have some advice about redesigning as well. And it goes along the same lines of what we just said, because what I just shared with you really was how to handle your verbal branding. And a brand is really two parts. It's the verbal part and it's the visual part. So it's what you say about your brand, what you call your company, your tagline, maybe the the description of how you describe what you do and who you help and, and what you offer. So that's all the verbal, the words, mm-hmm. but then there's the visual brand And the visual brand is your logo, your colors, your fonts, and things like that. And what I recommend is, again, you've got brand equity. So the colors and the branding that you've used have now built up, there's some recognition that when people see your site from a distance, they know it's your site because you've just been out there so long with it. So in order to continue to leverage that brand recognition, what I recommend is that you change one element. Um, Maybe it's just your logo or you just tweak your colors. Maybe you use the same basic colors. Maybe you'd make them a little brighter or something, or maybe you're tired of your website font. So you change your text font on the website or your headline font, but don't change. It's again, it's this thing. Don't chop down the whole tree, just prune some branches (laughs) and train it to go in a different direction but build on what you already have because it, I don't know, I think those of us with mature brands don't always realize how incredibly valuable it is to have that brand equity that we've built up over so much time. And we're way too quick to just chop it all down and burn that firewood and start from scratch. And there's no reason to do that. You can refresh a brand without having to completely overhaul it. That's a great point. And often we get bored with our own stuff because we look at it all the time, but most people aren't looking at it all the time. Now, <laughs> so and I, I have to tell you, from years of doing that work with clients, I will give you the line that I always gave to my clients, which was right around the time that you are getting sick to death of your brand, that is right around the time that people are starting to recognize it as your <laughs> brand. So you really have to stay the course and it's hard. It's hard because you're just like, oh my gosh, these brand elements, I've been using them forever. But they, like you said, we are seeing them every day. No one else is. So you really have to stay the course and and try to maintain that brand equity that you've built up. No, that's really good. And I like the uh, pruning the tree and kind of training it in another direction. And I feel like the publishing industry just often will reboot an author with a new pen name rather than prune the tree and put things in another direction. They'll be like, no, we just need another pen name. And I, I know a lot of indie authors copy that, but I wonder if like you're, you're correct, like 
pruning them things and going in a slightly different direction. So it, it is a really interesting thing to think about. But I do know that a lot of people listening may not have, most likely won't have a mature business or as mature as ours is, having been going for so long at this point. Um, so if people are going, well, I actually, I don't know whether I have a business or is it the right time to start a business. So we've talked a bit about maybe which route to go down, but when does an author who wants to take it to the next step, when do they go, okay, I'm now going to start a business, which as you say, may mean some kind of registration, incorporation, depending on what the word is in the country that you're in. The thing about this is I actually think that being an author is a business. And I think you do a beautiful job teaching that. If you approach your writing as a business, you're going to make smarter decisions about how you release your books, how you market your books, how you maybe package them together, and in some case, maybe even what you write next, if you think about it as a business. And again, like outside of all of the registering and making things official, just thinking about this venture of being an author as a a business, something that will produce revenue for you. And of course, your business as a creative outlet, this is probably going to be the topic of my next book, actually, Mm. just so you know. But businesses as a creative outlet, they're not mutually exclusive of businesses as a revenue source. You can think about your books as this is something I'm doing because I'm passionate about them and the topics I write about and they're a creative outlet. That's all great, but they can also produce revenue. So if you think about them that way and think about these creative objects as things that fit within an ecosystem that actually are a business, whether or not you register it, you'll make really smart decisions about how you manage your author journey. And then as far as do you expand into other things? Do you offer courses or do you offer one-on-one coaching if you're a nonfiction author especially? I think when it comes to that, you really have to listen to your gut and you have to listen to your readers. So in some cases you may have, let's say you have an Ask Me Anything question and answer, hosted question and answer thing, and you get a chance to really interact with your readers, or maybe in a different world than the one we're in right now, you go to a book signing and you're interacting with your readers and they start asking you for more, basically. You should listen to them and check in with your own gut and see if that's something that you do want to expand into, offering courses or offering coaching You should do it because you feel called to it by your gut and by your readers. I think that's the way to know. It's difficult though, isn't it? Because I I feel like, like we were saying earlier about the initial enthusiasm that can get people started in an area. I was thinking like I went through, I'm happily child-free personally, but I went through a phase where a lot of my friends were having children and a lot of the women I know are very entrepreneurial and they all of them were going to start businesses around babies and young children like they were going to do this that and the other around the baby niche because that's where they were and within two three years they were had moved on from that and now the kids are a bit older or uh, and now they weren't interested in doing that baby thing anymore and it's like the life stage you go through also changes your interests so I I, it is difficult to know what is going to last and as you mentioned the personal brand you have big brand system you don't have Pamela Wilson so I do have PamelaWilson.com actually but it it that's not your business name (laughs) no it's not my business name it redirects to my about page on a on big brand system actually that was intentional I really wanted to have a business name that delivered, that sort of talked about the benefit that I was delivering to people. And I still think that my business, even though it has pivoted somewhat, it's really about building a a brand that is solid and that will support you in all your business needs. So it's something I still continue to talk about and I don't regret doing that. 
But mm. you're right. It, that is a core. And as a matter of fact, if it's something you're interested in, I can send you a link. I actually have a post that has been very popular on my website called personal brand or business brand. And it helps people to go through a process of deciding mm, which one. Okay. I'll send that to you so you can put it in the show notes. Yeah. Cause I often say to authors, it's better to have a website with your name. So Joanna Penn redirects to joannapen.com redirects to the creative pen, but I also, but I have JF pen for my fiction brand. And I feel like that gives us the greatest flexibility, but equally if for nonfiction authors in particular, if you've got this other ecosystem around it, then like with your business name, you, you're almost stating your niche with a nonfiction uh, yeah, business, and you're saying this right. is what I do, which is great because you have a niche, but it's could be bad because you feel hemmed in. Like with my career change angle, I was like, yeah, I do not want to talk about this ever again. <laughs> but it's fascinating. So, just we're almost out of time. Just a couple more questions. I feel like one of the things that is the biggest issue is time, and it's funny because again, we're talking about having a mature business over a decade in, but many people are just starting out, and they're like, why? Is isn't this happening faster? So what do you say when people are in a hurry? They're like, why can't I have the revenue right now? Like how much time do you think people need to give stuff? Oh, that's one of those impossible to answer questions. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny when my kids, I have um, kids who are young adults now, when they were young, they used to ask me these questions and I used to call them UQs. I would say that is a UQ. It's an unanswerable question <laughs> because, and that's what this one feels like as well. It doesn't have a straight answer. It depends so much on the niche, on the people you're helping, on how much you charge for your products and services. The one thing I will say, though, that might be helpful is I have been teaching more often than not when someone is starting out to find a way to package up your solution in a in what's called a, like a minimum viable product or service. So figure out a way to take people from point A to point Z with a minimal delivery that still gives them the solution, but maybe doesn't have all the shiny bells and whistles that you have seen other people do or that you envision for your solution long-term. So sometimes that means getting people together on Zoom like we're doing now and talking to them and coaching them. Zoom is a very inexpensive platform to use. It's a great way to test ideas. It's a great way to deliver something virtually and test an idea and see if it works. There is nothing like testing your idea with real people and having them pay you to develop a solution. I think that's the smartest way to do it. I I see a lot of my colleagues out there teaching, this is how you can create your grand membership program or your signature course and all of this. And that's all great. But there, you run the risk of spending a lot of money on education to develop something that is very elaborate before you even have an audience before you've even tested to see if your idea actually helps people and works for them, and before you've made the kinds of improvements that you can make when you actually teach a group of people and interact with them one-on-one. I, I can't tell you how long it will take, but I can tell you that if you, if you spend a lot of time building an elaborate infrastructure before you have actually tested your idea, it will take a lot longer. Great tip. And I made that mistake. The very first thing I did was build a massive modular course and I didn't really have an audience. (laughs) Well, and the reason I use that example is because I made the exact same mistake. (laughs) Everybody does it. And and on the one hand, I don't regret it because I learned a lot from the course that I took. It's fine. But when I look at the education that I was producing back in 2010 versus what I am doing now, with one eye closed and one hand tied behind my back. (laughs) 10 years later, I'm just a much better online educator. So I have no fear of developing an elaborate course now because I've been teaching adults online for 10 years. 
Mm. So I know what I'm doing. And I think there is a risk of people developing this very elaborate solution before they frankly actually know what they're doing (laughs) and they have, right. And they haven't actually tested their idea to see if their idea in their minds, it delivers the solution perfectly, but there's no battle plan survives contact with the enemy as they say, right? So you have to put it in front of warm bodies and see if people actually can use the solution in the way that you imagine it. And guess what? They probably will recommend that you make some tweaks. And that's where you have to humble yourself and be willing to learn and be willing to adapt. And I think that's a much faster way to get traction if you're willing to do it that way, to take it slow and small at first, but then just incrementally build up step by step. That is great advice. And if people take it, it's going to save them a lot of money and pain. And it's, But it's just funny that we both did that at the beginning. So I, I don't know. I think authors, authors of any genre probably will do the same. Very common story to have people spending seven years, 10 years, whatever, writing that first book, only to realize that they just need to write another book. <laughs> And start building right. a, building a career that grows slowly. So that was super useful, Pamela. I found that really interesting, and I know everyone listening does. So tell us, where can people find you and your books and everything you do online? The best place is, I have a page on my site. It's bigbrandsystem.com forward slash goodies, G-O-D-I-E-S. And that has all the goodies. It has links to my books. It has links to my blog posts. It has links to free workshops that I have on my site. All the goodies and all the good stuff is on that page. And I keep it updated all the time. So no matter when someone listens to this podcast, there will always be good stuff on the goodies page. So that's the link I like to share. Brilliant. Thanks so much for your time, Pamela. That was great. Thank you. So I hope you found the interview with Pamela useful today and that it gave you some ideas for your business. I particularly agree with her quote, I find that the books really warm people up to what I do in a way that goes beyond anything you can do in far, uh, as far as marketing. And this is definitely the truth for non-fiction authors. Your book can be the centre of your ecosystem, as I have an ecosystem around my books. And then you can create these other income streams. And I like that Pamela focuses on doing podcast interviews and not paid ads. She really does walk the content marketing talk. So we did mention intermittent fasting during the interview, and I did want to mention that if you are interested in that, check out the Intermittent Fasting Stories podcast with Jin Stevens and her recent book, Fast Feast Repeat, which is a great starting place if you're interested in what I'm doing. I won't be talking about it until the end of the year um, and I'll be reporting back on my experience and, and how it's been working for me but I'm certainly at the moment finding it very good for many things so we do talk about that. So next week I have an interview about writing horror with Tim Wagoner since it will be almost Halloween so it's like a Halloween special on horror. Tim has a fantastic new book out on everything you need to know about writing horror so I pick his brains on all things dark and twisty and of course writing Writing craft tips are always useful, whatever genre you write in. I'll also be back from my pilgrimage walk, so you'll hear whether or not I made it. (laughs) So happy writing, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes, available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.